Welcome back to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It is my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. Of course, Dr. Jones is the editor of Culture Wars Magazine and the author of several books, including Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality, and the recently released second edition of The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and Its Impact on History. Uh, it comes in a three-volume set. Uh, Dr. Jones, you also have a book coming out about art very soon, I understand? Yes, uh, the dangers of beauty, the conflict between mimesis and concupiscence in the fine arts. Oh, it's about uh, art in uh, visual arts in Italy, uh, music in Germany, and poetry in England. Uh, and we co- I cover just about all of the art forms. Okay. Yeah. And um, also, I understand you're writing a book uh, also about, I guess, um, the, uh, I guess uh, the Catholic Church and how it's been captured by Jewish uh, influence? Yeah, it's called, I'm thinking of a tentative title, Wahrheit macht frei. <laughs> I'm not good at German, but is that, uh, is that something about uh, work makes you free, if I recall? <laughs> no, no, it's it, it, Wahrheit macht frei uh, is truth will make you free. Okay, I know it's uh, the, I know the famous, uh, uh, saying uh, uh, on the entrance to the Auschwitz labor camp is uh, Arbach Mark Frey. That's right. Okay. Right, right. I so it's a, yeah, yeah. it's a play on uh, that. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, this, it's a, uh, a history of the Holocaust narrative. So from the beginning up to this day. So t- just today, to keep you up to date, uh, I was treated to a podcast in which uh, a Jewish lady from Philadelphia, actually my age, uh, announced that she is a reincarnated Holocaust survivor. So it's never going to die. It's basically, uh, I, I guess she qualifies as this re- in this regard for reparations payment. <laughs> and uh, this, this can go on forever. I mean, it is going to go on forever. Uh, but this is the reductio ad absurdum of a story that started right after World War II. And it, it's worth talking about because uh, the, the Catholic Church is a captive, is being held hostage by, the, by this narrative, largely through our German Catholic brothers and sisters uh, who are looks as if uh, we're going through a second reformation. I don't know whether you saw the news yesterday. 180 Catholic priests announced that they were homosexuals. 
at this point, at this point, very the, brave. <laughs> yeah. So the bishops, yeah. uh, what you would expect from the bishop is that they were immediately uh, suspended uh, ad divinus. Uh, and uh, we will treat you later. If you don't recant, repent and go to confession, we'll mm-hmm. defrock you and kick you out. No, they didn't do that. They said, we'll be happy to work with anyone, and we don't discriminate according to sexual orientation. This is a catastrophe for the Catholic Church in Germany. Catastrophe. And, and I think I know why it happened, and it's related to what we were just talking about and the social engineering that followed from that, uh, from the Second World War. Yeah, but uh, but uh, just as a thought experiment, what do you think would have happened if 180 Catholic priests announced that they didn't believe that six million Jews died in gas chambers? They said this in Germany. What if the uh, 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 this is a thought experiment? What if okay. those German priests had said that instead of announcing that they were homosexuals? Well, if they're do you think German, that the, the, yeah. They're in German soil. They'd be arrested. (laughs) Right. What would the bishop say at that point? You know, arrest these people. I I, I, this is the situation in Germany. And it's important because we are, in a sense, we're all Germans. If you're a Catholic, you're a German because you had the Germans imposing this narrative on us. And one German in particular, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, Mm -hmm. was a a crucial, absolutely crucial figure in, in this regard. Um because of what the role he played in at the Second Vatican Council, uh, getting the council to reject the Ottaviani preliminary documents and then coming up with a whole new agenda based on uh, openness to the modern world. And uh, let's not talk about, let's not be negative anymore. We're not going to have condemnations anymore. No uh, modern, anti-modernist, no, no syllabus of errors full of condemnations. We're just going to be positive and move forward that way. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I guess now, so if you are a, a, uh, a Catholic priest who is a homosexual, or pronoun- I guess a proud homosexual, um, you can deny the truth, uh, the doctrine of the Catholic Church, but you can't deny a historical narrative of the oligarchs support. So. Well, isn't this the state of the church right now? I mean, the the uh, I think what we're talking about is the Jesuits. The Jesuits now control the Vatican. I mean, the Pope himself is a Jesuit, so it's not surprising. The Pope can't do this alone. He has to rely on helpers to help him. And the Jesuits, uh, his order volunteered, and uh, they uh, have basically taken over the church. And as a result, we have... Uh, 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 initiatives like uh, the Tradiciones Custodes, which basically banned the Latin mass. That was the initiative of Thomas Reese, who used to be editor of America magazine. Uh, he wrote an article uh, recommending this path uh, in the spring and the Pope implemented it. Or you can even more recently, the Pope came out and commended uh, Sister Janine Gramick, uh, the one of the founders, co-founders of New Ways Ministry, uh, for uh, spending 50 years subverting the church's teaching on homosexuality. Now, I'm, I'm going to make a, a guess here. Uh, I would wager that until that letter showed up on the Pope's desk, he had never heard of Sister Janine Gramick. It's not, if you spend your life in Argentina, you're probably not going to hear about this lady. 
Okay, now I I knew who she was because I've been involved with this uh, business. Uh, a protesting the subversion, the sexual subversion of the Catholic Church for over 40 years now. Uh, and I uh, was there when she gave a speech at Notre Dame. And at that speech, she gave the speech, and then I, I was in the audience. I asked her a question. Do you accept the church's teaching on homosexuality? And she said, I'm not going to answer that question. Well, thank you. Thank you for your honesty uh, or being or your dishonesty, depending on how you look at it. Uh, now, these are two Jesuit initiatives uh, that uh, would not have happened without this order uh, in control. You know, this doesn't happen by itself. Uh, and, and what you have now is a situation where the Jesuits who have been in rebellion for decades now, I don't know whether you remember, but Pope John, John Paul II had to put that order in receivership. Uh, they had an election. He declared the election invalid, the election of their uh, general, and he appointed his own man to be the head of that and largely never followed through. Uh, and as a result, we have the mess we're in today, where basically the Jesuits are the chaplains of the oligarchs. The Jesuit NGOs, they receive millions of dollars from George Soros. And so you have basically the Jesuits uh, telling the Catholics, if you want to be a good Catholic, you have to follow, do what the oligarchs tell you. So you have this ridiculous situation where the Pope is enforcing a mandate, a vaccine mandate in uh, the Vatican, which is one of the most draconian in the world. Uh just as the rest of the world is getting off. Uh, Boris Johnson, you mm -hmm. know, declared victory <laughs> and walked away because his political life was on the, on the line there. So we're in a terrible situation. And the synodal way, uh, which is going on right now, is uh, simply a mockery of the goodwill of 1.2 billion Catholics because there is no way in the world that their opinions count for anything. The only opinions that count right now are Jesuit opinions. And so when you're told to gather with fellow Catholics and discuss inclusivity, you know what the answer is going to be. There's, there's no way in the world that, that, that whatever you say, uh, uh, whatever they say in darkest Africa, whatever they say in Europe, whatever, anywhere, doesn't matter. The, the answer has already been written by some Jesuit, probably James Martin. And we know what he means when he says inclusivity. He means subverting the church's teaching on homosexuality. That's what's going on. So it's a charade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that, yeah, the collapse of the COVID narrative. We had you know, Great Britain, Boris Johnson announced that he was uh, canceling Plan B, uh, doing away with vaccine mandates and the, I guess, the vaccine passport or green pass, as they call it. Similar uh, moves are being made, I understand, in the Czech Republic and also even Ireland. Uh, I think this Friday, this Friday evening announced that they were uh, lifting a lot of the restrictions and the requirements like overnight. Uh, of course, here in the United States, we've seen uh, some move in that direction as well with the Supreme Court ruling on the uh, right. Biden mandate. And so it seems to be uh, that the oligarchs, the people, the Davos set, who coincidentally, I think they just met and they might have talked about this, is they're staging some sort of strategic retreat. Uh, and so right. maybe maybe this explains the uh, geopolitical tensions regarding Russia and the Ukraine and, and right. NATO. Yeah. That may very well be the case. We yeah. have to clear the decks. This narrative is not going to go anywhere. 
this dog won't hunt anymore. Uh, why isn't every politician as smart as Boris Johnson? Boris Johnson was on the ropes. <laughs> he was on the ropes. They had all of the evidence against him. They're having parties. They're having cocktail parties at, at number 10 Downing Street. And everybody's laughing. No one's wearing a mask. They're probably all kissing and hugging each other. And the word gets out. And now they're calling you hypocrite. You're imposing this rule on everyone else. How dare you resign? Boris Johnson was smart enough to realize He's taking the heat. Neil Ferguson or some hack behind him is coming up with these preposterous rules. He doesn't follow them. He he goes off and commits adultery, you know, when he's supposed to be locked down with a mask on. Mm -hmm. uh, cynical disregard, cynical manipulation. But suddenly Boris Johnson realized, look, I'm doing the bidding of the uh, big pharma and I'm taking the heat. They're not they're not taking the heat. I'm taking it. I'm going to take the political power back from the uh, big pharma bureaucrats. And that's what he did. Makes perfect sense because the big what you had with big pharma was a coup d'etat where basically someone like Fauci comes in and takes over the government. He's giving orders. Wait a minute. You, nobody elected you. You make recommendations. You don't give orders. And so he makes the recommendation. Biden takes the hit. The Democrats take the hit and Biden's too stupid to understand what's going on or too demented or too old or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I think if he had uh, more of his marbles together, he might uh, maneuver a little bit better on. He just doesn't know what's going. He's being told what to say. He's reading yeah. teleprompting. He has trouble doing that. Yeah. Uh, um, it, so is, why, why, why am I taking the hit for you, mm -hmm. Tony? Why am I taking your hit? Forget it. I'm taking the power back. You're out of here. It's over. Period. That's it. It was all political from the beginning. And that's what's going to I think it is going to happen. Boris Johnson may be the beginning of it, but it's going to happen. That's how do you ha how do you how do you like maintain <clears throat> this, these controls? Like even within the British Commonwealth, if they were removing all these restrictions in the home country, how does New Zealand, and Australia maintain their their you know, their covid police state? <laughs> Yeah, that's a that. good that, that's a good question. And that, I think I think that uh, Australia and New Zealand were talking about geopolitics here. And they got a group of people who want to become the uh the the lapdog of the United States of America in the Pacific in the coming war with China. Good luck, fellas. Good luck on that one. Uh I think that's what's going on. They first of all they canceled the submarine deal with France. Uh, they now bought a couple billion dollars worth of American tanks and they were uh, they invaded the Solomon Islands because uh, that government was stupid enough to recognize mainland China as opposed to Taiwan. That was a Zionist orchestrated coup. There were people waving uh, uh, Israeli flags there it was neoconservative, a kind of neoconservative coup d'etat. I, I think that's what explains what's going on in Australia. Um they, uh, you know, it's like the colony was always more zealous than the, the mother, the mother country mm -hmm. trying to prove something. You see, you see it in Canada. You see it in Ireland. What are these? They all are former colonies and they're all trying to be uh, uh, the, the number one student in implementing uh, what the oligarchs want to do. Even after Boris Johnson has basically said, I'm not going to do it. There's something 
something going on here. I have people who write to me from Australia and they, they berate me for my feelings like this way, but uh, it's hard to see anything else other than what's going on here. Do they want, they want to return to being a penal colony. I think that's, I think they feel secure if they lock themselves up. Yeah. Here in the, uh, here in, in the States, you have this, you know, various jurisdictions or cities, or even States have different approaches to this. I mean, some States never really been into it, like Florida, you know, some states have been more ambivalent, like 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 my home state, or then there's Texas. Then you have the crazy states like California and the Pacific Northwest and New York, where the governor is, you know, Huckle, who creeped in there because governor because Cuomo had to creep out. <laughs> you know, he, he got in trouble because he was chasing girls, apparently. But um, uh, she announced all these restrictions and all of a sudden all the counties and say, we're not going to. Yeah, that's great. But we're not going to implement any of this stuff. We can't right. do this anymore. Uh, this I just saw a friend sent me this. Here, uh, Washington, D.C., which is still, you know, in the COVID, COVIDian cult camp, Washington, D.C. still requires nude strippers to be masked. <laughs> <laughs> Dancers are required by the city to wear masks. Uh, I, I like uh, I don't know if this is a typo, but they, they use the term irregardless, which isn't a word. But uh, that's it. So, you know, uh, I don't know if they have to maintain six foot, six feet of uh, distance, but. Maybe the- lap, lap dances, so lap dances kind of <laughs> lose their power when you're six feet apart, don't they? Or something. <laughs> yeah. This is not a significant drop in income for the lap dancers and the, yeah. the strippers. You know, well, and- it, so we've reached the, the state of absurdity here. And I think most people feel it's absurd and we're ready to get over it. And so it, I, you also have the thing with the, the, the course with the jab, the so-called vaccines or now data is is starting to surface suggesting this thing might, might really be deadly in the final analysis. You have that one American insurance company announcing a 40% increase in all cause deaths of between the ages of 18 and 64. Now this is a cohort that shouldn't be dying. And this was something that many people warned about what happened, you know, with the spike protein, this thing would destroy people's immune system and cause all types of problems. So maybe in the next few years, we might really be confronting confronted with a, uh, a, a serious health problem, which they won't admit, of course, you know, no. And so what's going on? Who's going to hold these people responsible? Yeah. Well, uh, pr- pr- it looks as if no one's going to do it. Who, who, who is, who is there is, uh, as Lenin would say, there's power lying in the streets right now. Mm-hmm. He was smart enough to pick it up uh, during that crisis when World War One was going bad. And he basically took over the, the, the country. So all the political who's going to do this? Is it is it uh, Mr. DeSantis from Florida? Uh, but who it's all it's going to be regional. I think that we're seeing the rise of regional regional government. Once mm-hmm. again, we're seeing it with covid. Uh, I saw the map. Uh, the highest percentage I saw was 76 percent in Vermont vaccinated. Uh, lowest 16 uh, percent Mississippi, 17 percent in Alabama and then everyone else, Indiana, right about the middle. Most of the states are in the middle, about 50 percent. That's what I saw. That was the CDC uh, map as I saw it. That's that's about 50 percent. But uh, that's not great. That's from their point of view that I think that's a failure from their point of view. Uh, But what what you break down is you see huge regional differences here, huge differences of opinion about the most pressing issue of our our day right now. And that is, I think the Supreme Court is going to have to come to grips with that. And I think they did. They're doing it. 
with both uh, COVID mandate, COVID mandate striking the OSHA regulations down, and also with abortion, which is going to go, it's going to depend on the region where you come from. Is this a, a function of maybe some of these the rule, so-called ruling elite uh, realizing that maybe uh, uh, their game was being exposed and they maybe they feared that someone might start to build scaffolds and guillotines <laughs> for these people and the adults in the room said, hey, let's let's uh, t- let's dial it back a few notches now. I think that the the the, the Supreme Court are supposed to be the adults in the room. I think that's exactly the role they're supposed to play. Now, I always felt that they they represented oligarchic interests, but the main oligarchic interest they represent is keeping this whole thing together. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't uh, bend it so far that it's going to break. You have to know uh, how much uh, how much to p- take back. You know, uh, how, how much how much leeway do we have here? Don't we have to take into consideration some of these? reality some of these factors so that we don't wreck the whole thing the opposite view here is of course the jewish view which does jews are in rebellion against logos as a result they don't recognize limits and because they don't recognize limits they always go too far and there's always a violent reaction that's the big that's the tragedy of the jewish people and the, the adults in the room are, are always in a situation where we've got to say, no, they're going too far. This happened right after World War II. Okay, you have uh, the Jew Morgenthau, who has this incredible power over Franklin Delano Roosevelt for some reason or other. And his plan is to starve the German people to death. And uh, uh, by the end of uh, 46, the adults in the room say, no, we can't allow this to happen. I'm talking about people like Herbert Hoover, uh, a a heroic figure at this moment in time because he pleaded for the cause of the German people. Uh, uh, You don't have a right to starve these people to death, no matter how you feel about them. No one has that right. And uh, Hoover uh, carried the day. Uh, And it was people like, uh, you know, George Marshall, who basically created a new plan. You know, not it was a great, it wasn't great. It was bad in its own way, but it wasn't the Jewish plan because the Jewish plan, and some people say this was intentional, was going to turn uh, Germans into welcoming the Soviet army with open arms because it was better than what the, the Jews were doing to them uh, after, after the war. So this has to prevail if you want the country to prevail. You have to have, you can't have these zealots. I mean, we are plagued with crazy zealots crazy ideas you know like there's no difference between male and female one crazy idea after another that sodomy is the same thing as marriage that sodomites can get married uh this is crazy you can't impose this on the american people it's not going to work and i think this was probably the difference between bill clinton and hillary clinton hillary clinton simply had was completely tone deaf and now she's reaping what she sowed she sowed identity politics, and now she's reaping a country that is completely divided. Yeah, there's nothing to unify under. It's impossible. Uh, you can't even get excited for the Olympics anymore because what, what do you root for, right? I mean, you politicized everything. Yeah. This was, I mean, I, I, I'm not a, on board with it, but with a great achievement of the oligarchs uh, during the earlier part of the 20th century was that they convinced all these immigrants to identify as Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, convinced... 
you know, German Americans to go fight Germany. I mean, that was a major uh, feat of brainwashing. Mm -hmm. It didn't really work in World War One. I. I mean, there, because the German ethnic identity was so strong at that point. But by by the time World War Two came around, you you united the entire country. It wasn't Hollywood yet, really. <laughs> World War One. <laughs> No, well, they were just starting at that They're point. They're starting, you, but yeah, you didn't, you didn't have that. You didn't have the, the huge propaganda ministry no, that Hollywood nothing, was. Yeah, nothing like it in World War Two. Yeah, and those war movies basically united the people. You know, uh, as did the you know like the hundreds of Holocaust movies that followed after the war. Yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned not knowing limitations, uh, chutzpah, as they call it, uh, going too far, and uh, you know we're seeing this collapse of the COVID narrative the failure of Biden's domestic agenda. And now all of a sudden, Biden administration has found an enemy abroad, at least uh, another, I guess, an old time enemy, Russia. Uh, and he, you have this attempt to sort of provoke some sort of conflict with Russia over Ukraine, uh, which is to me odd because I look at a map, I go, oh, Ukraine, that's that's like, that's Russia, really. <laughs> why are we, Yeah, uh, you know, why are we saying, you know, if they invade, which I don't know if there's any evidence of that happening. I don't think right. Putin wants to control Ukraine. I think he wants it at the very least neutralized. Uh, so what's your take on this sort of this brooding uh, conflict with, with Russia over over Ukraine? It's exactly what I just said. Mm -hmm. It's it's Jews who don't understand limits. They don't understand the balance of power, things like that. Although Kissinger did to some extent. Uh, but uh, so Victoria Newland uh, stages this coup d'etat. Mm -hmm. They drive out the popularly elected leader and they stall Jewish puppets, the Jewish puppets who are running the Ukraine. And now you've got Blinken uh, uh, and, and the uh, and Jewish puppets uh, confronting uh, Putin in a way that is preposterous, outrageous and and dangerous. So the equivalent would be, uh, OK, uh, let's suppose that uh, we have Russian troops uh, in uh, Houston. Well, wait a minute. Uh, and and, and uh, that's exactly the equivalent of what we what we're doing to, to the Russians. We're saying you have a, you have no right. You have no right to keep uh, Russian troops uh, out of Dallas. They're already in Houston. Uh, what is your problem? Why are you so aggressive? Why? It's like what I say to my my Iranian friends. Why did you put your country in the middle of all those American military bases? That was really stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, this is exactly the type of Jewish reversal that you always get involved in and always ends up badly because it's not rational. It's not reasonable. It's always uh, these guys. They always have the moral high grounds and you're always supposed to be on the defensive because well, you know, uh, no, sodomy is not the same as marriage and no abortion isn't a good thing. No, well, you're a bad person then. You must be an anti-Semite. This is the way they always work and it always leads to disaster. This is why the first step in taking back our country should be prohibiting dual citizens, Israeli-American citizens, from holding any office because they do not represent the people of the United States of America. When was the last Wait. time you, U.S. foreign policy ever represented the interest of the American people? <laughs> well, it beca it, it's like a sliding yeah. scale. And you go yeah. back, uh, you know, you go back to uh, uh, World War Two uh, and uh, that's when you 
you know, look, look, we've always, there's always been a problem here. From the beginning, there has always been a problem, a conflict between the oligarchs and the people. It's always been there. It's not going to go away. Uh, uh, and if, if you simply capitulate and let the oligarchs take over, which is what the libertarians basically brought about, they kept talking about freedom, but they kept breaking down regulations. They kept subverting the moral law and all that all benefits the oligarchs. Uh, and suddenly you wake up and wait a minute, we don't have any wealth. We don't have any representation. How do we get into this mess? You know, well, one step at a time. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And how are we going to get out of the mess uh, by restoring uh, the democracy that uh, represents the people and not oligarchic interests? It's that simple. Yeah, Why well, had I mean, I, I remember noticing the 90s uh, after the uh, Soviet Union dissolved in 1991, 92. Yeah, it's Christmas Eve, 1991, when it actually officially dissolved. But the reunif- of course, the reunification of Germany, which began 1980, November 1989, that was negotiated. I think it was Baker that promised uh, Gorbachev that they would not extend NATO you know, an inch east. One inch, one inch. I think it was George H. George H. W. Bush. It was certainly at that time. Well, they lied. Yeah, because they now, lied. now they want to they want to include Ukraine and and you know in, in NATO. <laughs> it's like, you know, why are you laughing? Because it's isn't, so insane. <laughs> where, isn't doesn't doesn't Ukraine have a port on the North Atlantic? <laughs> well, the you know, the Black Sea is an American lake. I mean, this is traditional, right? Oh, okay. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> no, this is oh, this is this yeah. is the overreach. It's overreach. It's hubris. It's uh, it's not going to come about. Better. When are they going to start acting realistically? And say, well, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, you're right. The Ukraine has always traditionally been uh, part of uh, Russia's sphere of influence, part of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, sure, that's it. Okay, we'll we'll back off. When is that going to happen? Who is going to who is going to do that? You can't. Th- that's not the way these people think. No, even They're, I mean, this this shows you that right and left are both controlled by these neoconservative, uh, you know, scoundrels, because the Republicans are blaming or are, are, are going after Biden for being too weak. Right. <laughs> I mean, like what? Do you, I mean, I don't think do they really believe their rhetoric? Do they really want to risk a war? I don't think they really think a war is going to happen. I think they want constant conflict. Uh, they want to sell more weapons, I suppose. To, obviously, NATO expansion means more weaponry being sold because those contracts c- kick in. And in conflict, I mean, just there's, there's a lot of money to be made in conflict. And there's always some profiting off it, whether it's, you know, like it did in the Balkans, you know, with mining and, and, and I think with telecommunication companies. And so there's 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 always some sort of angle to this. But I mean, this is serious business because Russia is a nuclear power. It's not like this isn't right. Libya. I mean, this isn't Iraq. This is Russia. No, no, no. The the, the other ge- the, the crucial, I think, geopolitical issue involved here is that Nord Stream 2 gas mm-hmm. pipeline. Uh, that is that is going to de facto destroy NATO. Now, Germany is diddling around. They built, the, they built the thing. They haven't turned it on yet. They have to turn it on. Okay, Germany has no choice in the matter. They have, they are, they need energy. They've already gotten rid of their uh, nuclear power plants. They're going uh, with electric cars. Uh, they need this energy. They need this gas. 
Russia has most of the gas in the world, the natural gas in the world. They are natural allies. And it's because of the McKinder thesis, the uh, uh, oligarchs at the State Department have to break up any ability to of these countries to unite. And that means so I think what the Ukraine is really about is the Nord Stream pipeline. Let's get let's back Germany into a corner. They're our vassal state. Let's make them fight uh, against their own self-interest by attacking Russia. That that will solidify NATO because we have an external enemy and that will uh, allow us also to come in and say, oh, don't worry, Germany, uh, we'll supply you with liquefied natural gas, which we'll, we'll send on ships. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. The only reason the United States is saying that is because those ships, uh, if they do that, Germany will be could be interdicted uh, by the American Navy at any time they get uppity. Not so that Germans same. ever get uppity. Go yeah, ahead. So it's going back to that same old thing. You said the McKinder Doctrine. This is the uh, idea that the Eurasian landmass is a pivot to world controlling the world. Right. You, you keep that area destabilized or keep it from coalescing into some sort of trade block or, or condominium, if you will. And that way, the sea power, meaning the Anglo-American Zio power now, controls things. That's why yeah, you make them dependent and weaken. Of course, NATO is there to keep Russia out and Germany down. Of course, that was supposed to be a Cold War situation. That Cold War has been over for more than 30 years. So why does NATO still exist? Well, we see NATO is now a an imperial uh, projecting Anglo-American Zio power. And we see Absolutely. that. Yeah. And of course, then you have the McKinder thesis, which is very important, understanding you know, the 20th century, the 30 years war, which we call World War One and World War II in the interwar period, this war to destroy independent Central European power, which, which was Germany, you have to see it in that context. Um, but the um, of course, with Russia, you have this ancestral hatred of Russia by by Jews who enjoy so much power in the West, particularly in the United States, and particularly in this administration, right? In this past two administrations, well, for for decades, the Jewish influence, both culturally and politically, in the United States has that's been right. outsized. That's yeah. right. That's, that's right. why that's you, exactly. you have like Congressman Schiff, right? Is he related to Jacob Schiff? <laughs> I think so. I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, look up that name and its connection to destabilizing Russia, right? So, Jacob Schiff. Well, that. At this point, I think you've you've accurately stated the intention behind American foreign policy uh, leading to this Ukraine war. But at this point, we have to factor God into the question. And uh, Hegel's term was the cunning of reason that God is his word is vernunft and vernunft is the word for a great German word for logos. And logos is God. We know that from St. John's Gospel. So uh, there is a, there is a, a power here that directs human history largely through the intentions of the wicked. And this is exactly what we're seeing now. So the, the Trump administration, the, let's just say American foreign policy has brought about the exact opposite of what it's supposed to bring about. It's supposed to destabilize and divide the Eurasian landmass. They have united the Eurasian landmass because of their stupidity and because of their overreach. And their imperial hubris. So now you have Russia, China, and Iran uh, united in an alliance that's going to uh, block NATO or block uh, the Straits of Hormuz or do something like that. This, this is, I mean, I, when I, I ask my uh, Iranian friends, are you learning Chinese? 
you know, no, no, we're not learning Chinese. We have nothing in common with these people. They were forced into an unnatural relationship that will probably, the Chinese will probably try to exploit for their own benefit. I don't see any last, all we had to do was back off a little bit. All we had to do uh, was lift the sanctions and that would have stopped overnight. Well, why didn't we lift the sanctions? Well, because the Jews control the sanction office at the Treasury Department. It's always been their bailiwick. It's always been the way they project power onto the world. And they are the ones who are responsible for making the situation worse, worse for Israel. Worse for Israel. Remember the Iraq war? I remember uh, Saddam Hussein was the opponent of Iran. Saddam Hussein kept Iran in check. Mm -hmm. Why did the neocons go after Saddam Hussein? Well, because they're stupid, ultimately. They can't can't tell their right hand from their left. They broke up Saddam Hussein. They murdered that man. And now the allowing uh, the formation of the Shia Crescent. So that the Shia, the uh, Iranians could send their missiles through Iraq now because it was under Shia control uh, mm-hmm. down through Lebanon, down and, and Lebanon. Uh, uh, Hassan Nasrallah has 250,000 rockets thanks to the neocon invasion of Iraq. Oh, so much for higher Jewish IQ, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, strategery, as I said. Only American foreign policy could unify Russia, China, and Iran, right? <laughs> yeah, you're really doing something when you bring those people together. People like people like Richard Dixon and uh, Kissinger understood that you play the China card to divide. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russia, you know, Russia's uh, from the Soviet Union, from China. They knew that. Now, these these geniuses uh, are bringing about the exact opposite. Well, you know, that's probably God's plan. Uh, that's the way God works in well, human history. K- Kissinger forever, you know, he is or was or is. I'm not sure what he is now at his advanced age. He still gets around a lot, which is amazing. Um, but um, he, he, he read Metternich and, he, you know, he read... He was an admirer of Bismarck, and so he had some historical understanding. Of these I don't think this generation of buffoons know anything. They don't take anything. I mean, Victoria Nuland probably doesn't know anything about you know history, or just doesn't uh, have an understanding of it, or the importance of balance and these things. So even th- they're not even good exploiters of unipolarity. They just they they blow it up because they can't. It's arrogance, I, you know. I think that Kissinger was able to keep the inner Jew under check, uh, under control. I think that that was more that generation. I think that as Jewish power basically took over, Jewish culture took over the United States, uh, they, the Jews felt they, they didn't feel they had to act this way anymore. I'm not going to take that. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I really think. And so you go from someone like, I don't know, Irving Berlin to Sarah Silverman. <laughs> yeah, it's a little yeah, you're right yeah yeah and, and 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 kissinger i guess was an agent of the rockefeller so he he right. served the wasp establishment that's right that's yeah. exact yeah. that's and so that construct disappeared it disappeared in 78 when john d rockefeller and nelson rockefeller died mm-hmm. that was the last gasp of the wasp establishment now the wasp worked for the jews used to be the jews worked for the wasp now it's reversed yeah, because, the, t- the tail's at, not at, wagging the dog. Yeah, 
That's right. Look at Harvard. Look at Harvard. So they get in control. You let them in. They take over. They used to have quotas for Jews at Harvard. That was an awful thing. Darn it. You should you shouldn't do should be ashamed of yourself, Harvard. So they drop the quotas. Guess what happens? The Jews take over. What what is the sign? So when they take over, they they with the, uh, a milestone here was just a, a few weeks ago uh, when they announced that the, the the official office at Harvard is called Christian Minister. Well, it turns out the new Christian Minister is a Jew and an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm. Well, you, you that, got, that, wait that, a minute. That, wait a second. That's not include to to expect a Christian Minister to be Christian. That's not inclusive. You say so you so you use it for your own ethnocentric interest. And and what you're going to do is wreck Harvard. You wreck everything else. So you wreck Harvard, too. Well, free speech is useful for Jews when they can subvert and take over institutions. The moment they get in the control, they subvert it. That's right. Their classic example is Alan Dershowitz, who defended deep throat as free speech when no one in his right mind ever said obscenity was part defended by the First Amendment. And then as soon as Trump gets in office, he's standing by when Trump signs a bill making it illegal to criticize Israel. That's that's free speech for you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this this isn't a, a slur or a canard because I think it was Herbert Marcuse who talked about repressive tolerance. There's a whole point of the, the less strategy to take over than suppress any opposition. So that he, I mean, he wrote about it and sort of intellectualized it. But it's an idea where you don't tolerate your opponents you know, liberties. You, you use that to take over, suppress. Once you're in power, you, you the inner checker, you become the checkist, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and Jews, I have to give it to them. They make great commissars. They make terrible professors, politicians. They're a disaster, but commissars, they're really good at that. They're really good at imposing their, uh, their uh, radical ideology on everyone and making you feel guilty if you don't go along with this insane radical ideology uh, like critical race theory, uh, mm -hmm. by the way, uh, Governor Yunkin uh, uh, canceled critical race theory the first day in office. He also said he was going to work to fight anti-Semitism. Yes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Governor. Uh, uh, critical race theory is Jewish top to bottom. It was created by a Jewish professor at Harvard called Noel Ignatieff. I, I'm waiting for the ADL to condemn Yunkin for anti-Semitism because he stopped critical race theory. Yeah, uh, the same way that uh, if you go after pornography, you're an anti-Semite, which uh, leads us to our uh, other topic. You had this debate a while, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, with this character of Vouch, which I didn't know existed until I, I uh, tuned in for the debate. Um, it's an interesting debate. Um, it's almost as if uh, you were debating someone who has completely no understanding of your position, or at least uh, uh, how, how anyone could ever be critical of pornography. It's almost like Valsh has sort of this Whiggish view of history. It's all progressive, right? And, and, and to be transgressive is progressive and good. You can transgress against everything, and that's, that's the important point. But I'll let you talk. What would, I mean, it's almost I don't want to be uncharitable, but it's almost like just looking at Valsh was an argument against pornography. <laughs> I think that was, I think that's what happened here. I think basically, oh, look, I, I, all, all I have, all I have to do is kind of show up and say, look, this is what I believe. So you got two paradigms. You got this old guy who has uh, raised five children and has 21 grandchildren. And with all of his failings, he actually did do that. And mm -hmm. do you want to do you want to be like him or do you want to be this 
this wanker uh, who is just starts screaming at you uh, when when you try to make a point. It's it's it, 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 the interesting thing about that debate was at the beginning, you make a statement. And then as soon as you go into the back and forth, he would invariably stop, interrupt you and say, well, what do you mean by that? Or what do you mean by that? And so the point here is he's got he's perfected this tactic of basically uh, tr- trying to trip you up. And then you get frustrated because you can't make your point. And then you're supposed to get angry and you're supposed to shout at him or something like that. Well, it turns out the exact opposite happened. So um, the, the middle part is kind of unpleasant because he's constantly uh, interrupting me, uh, making it me in very difficult to make the point. But then the third part is all you're doing is answering questions from the uh, audience. And the questions were obviously not going his way. And so he gets, he's getting more and more angry uh, because I'm not, I don't have to say anything anymore. The floor is yours, Vosh. Every time someone calls in, you have to answer the question and he gets, he's getting more and more angry. So, so one point, uh, I'm, so I'm just not saying anything. At one point, he says to me, he goes into this tirade about me as an old man, and he's big and strong, and he could knock me out and everything. And then at the end of it, he says, shut the fuck up. Well, wait yeah. a minute. I, this, we're supposed to have a debate here. What kind of attitude is that when you're having a debate? Because the more you allowed him to speak, the more it became obvious that lust darkens the mind. And you don't have a position. Your position is basically a constricted justification for pornography and masturbation, uh, trying to relate that to people who are part of the, uh, as addicted as you are and don't feel good about it. Yeah, he didn't seem to be aware, or at least anyway, of, of your argument about uh, pornography or sexual liberation as a tool, a, a psycho, psychological weapon for political control. And he wasn't didn't seem too concerned or interested in the history, which I think is important understanding uh, its, its effect and also its, 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 uh, its power. And he said he was, he was bored with Hollywood and he didn't think that factored into it. He was, he didn't think Hollywood produced pornography. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? They've normalized it. That's why maybe you don't recognize it, but he's been completely, he's like I said, his, 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 his own appearance, how he talked, is an argument against pornography. I can understand who's making the case that pornography is something like a, is an evil that must be tolerated, given other concerns like free speech, if that's your understanding of the First Amendment. But he was like, it was a positive good. It helps. It helps people. It, 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 and it, it was almost like a complete uh, sort of this obtuse or just um, detached. Uh, from reality, meaning that you can, his idea right. is you could be an addicted, you could be addicted to pornography, addicted to masturbation, have a perfectly healthy relationship, and have have children. Well, people who who know the the reality of this, that isn't the case. In fact, that's why it's promoted. It's promoted actually to prevent people from from forming families and having large families, having children, having community. It's there to atomize you. And he's a perfect example of someone who's atomized. I mean, it's well, it's not. It, he's he's represent a whole generation has been atomized. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, marginalized, you know, for two things, uh, you know, basically pornography, masturbation and uh, student loan debt. It's a catastrophe for that generation. Yeah. And as soon as you say something like uh, debt, then we go down that rabbit hole and and, uh, it's just constantly trying to avoid the issue. But at the same time, making the issue obvious by your behavior. It's obvious. It's obvious that you're you're there's something wrong here. And that you can't 
from come up with a coherent explanation. And, and when some guy calls in and says, yeah, I was addicted and I'm glad I broke the habit. You, you yell at them. That's the wrong answer. You know, and who cares about you and so on and so forth. That well, that, that, that's, that's not evidence. You see, that's not sociological evidence. That's not right. Data. There's a scientific study. That, <laughs> uh, must be. Well, that's, that, that goes back to that the idea of science, right? It goes back to he's almost like an apostle of Kinsey. He's calling it right. science, right? <laughs> right. I, I just I mean, now that we're on this, we started off by talking about those 180 priests who announced that they're homosexuals. I'm saying there's a direct line between that and the pornography battle in Germany, a direct line. By the way, he, he was completely unaware of that, by the way. No, he's unaware of everything. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he was he was, I think, taken aback when I started talking about the Palestinians and Ramallah and that type of thing. Yeah. Didn't know what to say at that point. And so uh, as soon as I started talking, then he would attack whatever I said. Well, he, he, he said, well, the Weimar period in Germany was great. So it's, like, <laughs> it's like the Germans didn't feel that way. And, you know, there were there was a reaction to that. <laughs> yeah, it was called Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's like but he said, you know, he didn't. He, he, I don't know if he's even aware of, you know, like um, the transgender sex experimentation that was going on uh, and all that. And uh, But um, the no, he didn't know anything. No, he didn't yeah. know anything. He was like, he was, you know, OK, you're 27 years old. And, uh, you know, it took me a while when I was 27. I didn't know what I know now. But if you're going to constantly hector someone uh, who knows more than you do uh, every to, just to make a point, the only point you make is that you're an ignoramus. Well, he, he, looked, he, 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 he looked like he was 40. Now, maybe I'm being un, unkind, uh, but um, maybe uh when I was 27, at least I was aware that pornography was wrong. And I mean, I wouldn't know all the arguments, but I was aware that these were just instinctually knew that these things were wrong. He was proud of it. And he even suggested that if someone isn't constantly masturbating, that they should masturbate more. That would open their mind up. That was it's like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, well, look at him. There's an yeah. open mind. If there were ever proof that lust darkens the mind, it's Vosh and, and the way he performed uh, during that debate. He didn't but understand. I, I, he didn't understand psychological warfare. It was almost like he was. If, if it's not, he no. sees it as liberating, right? And it's like no, because your mind is darkened and you don't yeah. really understand what's going on. All you know is that you you have to gratify your passions, and that's it. That's the end of the story. And you convince yourself that you're happy as a slave, and try and convince other people. He's got people who follow him on the internet. This is ridiculous. He makes money. By keeping these people, uh, his own generation, enslaved to these vicious habits, that's really weird. But I mean, that that's that's the situation. There's a direct line. I'm saying there's a direct line. The crisis in Germany came when basically Ratzinger and Krings were in in Rome during the Second Vatican Council, and the forces uh, in Germany. Uh, launched a very successful attack and overturned their obscenity laws. That enslaved the German people. They've never recovered. Never. Well, I, I think in, in, Val in Valsha's worldview is that was an example of Germany being liberated, the Allies bringing freedom to them. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. He, he gets into this idea, remember, anything that the Nazis are against was good. And everything, anything that opposed Nazis, you know, everything Nazis were for was bad. Everything that, uh, you know, anything that opposed Nazis were good. So it's a very simple, you know, dialect or a dichotomy there. Right. On an understanding right. of things. So basically, you know, so, you know, Nazis didn't like pornography, therefore pornography is good. Okay. Fine. Right. Take that, you know, but um, the, 
the uh, where, where, where was I going to get there? Oh, yeah. The uh, he just did. You, you, when you talk about psychological warfare and idea of managing or manufacturing consent, people can be manipulated. He had no appreciation of like, have you ever read anything about Ed, Edward Bernays and the manipulation of, of people's passions and appetites? Now, this this isn't freedom. This is manipulation and, and the power of mass media and producing this stuff. You've written about how really pornography didn't really become an issue. Until the advent of the of of, uh, of the motion picture, right? It was photography, but really it was motion pictures that really gave it its power. And so, technology is the force force multiplier in, in all this, right? Uh, you know, the, the effect of the internet. Meaning, obviously, there's no way really effectively to restrict it. I mean, even if you uh, concede the fact that adults can handle it, as they say. How do you keep it out of the hands or out of the visions of, of children? You cannot do it. It's an impossibility. So we're faced with a situation now where the regime, the system under free speech in these things is in the habit of grooming young children. So they grow up to be homosexual, you know, or hope to be yeah. perverts, you know, so. Yeah, he's going to go down that road, too. He defended uh, pedophilia and then got shouted down and uh, tried to back away from that. But uh, uh, the, the and, and I did want to discuss it on those terms. I really want to talk about that because the issues are grave enough and we, we tend to get jaded uh, because we tend to just go along with the, the barrage. We get desensitized because yes. of all of the promotion, like like it's it's homosexuality is the cutting edge, you know, and so we desensitize to the fact that we we probably should be talking about contraception. Or we should be talking about divorce. But those those are battles that were fought so long ago. Nobody talks about them. Well, anymore. Contraception has no impact on birth because people can choose to have babies. That's how Vosh would look at it. <laughs> yes, it's all it's all yes. choice. And we and nobody can influence our choice. And there's a guy who's totally determined by what's outside of him. And he can't can't even see it. Mm -hmm. Can't even see it. I tried to. to pre that's why I started with the uh, issue of the. Israelis broadcasting pornography in Ramallah. Does, do you think the Israelis did this to bring about freedom? And we well, wouldn't no, answer well, it. He no, wouldn't answer it. No, he, changed the subject. He said that they're just trolling the Palestinians. I mean, there was no psychological component to it. It's like, well, no. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you look at the writings of the authoritarian, you know, something like, I don't know if he's familiar with the authoritarian personality the works of Herbert Marcuse with, you know, with errors and civilization is obviously sex is being weaponized. And the authoritarian personnel is pretty clear is that they're going to promote uh, eros and sexual perversion to weaken the family, to, you know, because they want they want to weaken the family because the family unit, particularly the family unit with the patriarchal strong father is a source of fascism. You know, this sort of narcissistic, everything's about us and so we need to weaken society. We need to break it up, weaken it. And they do that to the promotion of pornography. And the worst thing about it is he's denying it, but Jews admit it. They openly admit that this they is They brag strategy. about it. They, they brag, brag about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah. Or Abrams wrote a book about it. I think you quoted Abrams. Like, yeah. yeah. I wrote, he took, he, he took a lot of my material. Put That's it what in I mean. Yeah. Article. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then said, uh, yeah, but what's wrong with that? It's good. Uh, the only difference yes. between the two of our two uh, perspectives is that he thinks it's good and I think it's bad. But, we're, but we agree on the facts that Jews are heavily involved in the promotion of pornography. That's obvious. Yeah, I do like the fact that in the interview, you, you mentioned uh, pornography and usury and immediately accuses you of being an anti-Semite. <laughs> wait a minute, what, what do those two things have in common? <laughs> it's like, wait, where does this go? I mean, I, I, I guess you're willing to talk about it. 
I mean, uh, but it's like, why would you immediately go to that? You know, oh, so basically, and yet this was a, a exposed. We've talked about this. How remember that no nut November thing where Rolling Stone accused the people of promoting as being anti-Semitic because it it, it basically defogged their mind. But they says if someone is not addicted to pornography, or watching pornography, or just sexual liberation, is it will strengthen the character, clear clear their their mind. Uh, they're going to start a family and they recognize they have interests and all that. Uh, so they admit it, you know, and I mean, you've talked about this. Basically what Valsh is, I guess he, he thinks he's a leftist of some type, but he is a product of sort of that Michelle Foucault thing, right? Whether you, you abandon right. uh, uh, economic claims and you embrace sexual liberation. And this is why the oligarchs support it. Right. Right. It's kind of like the, the default setting right now. You're uh, it's called libertarianism. Mm-hmm. The libertarianism swept through the homosexual uh, crowd in uh, in San Francisco in the 70s and produced people like Robert uh, Sirica, who basically you want to de- you want to uh, basically uh, uh, de- deregulate everything, deregulate. That's it's simple enough. Well, when you deregulate everything, all you're doing is handing power to the oligarchs because they have wealth and power. You have to have something that will equalize their wealth and power. And that's going to be laws that are based on the moral law and say that certain behavior is impermissible and certain people, uh, certain things are inviolable, like the right to life. You know, as soon as you break through uh, through that, you have oligarchic control. This is why abortion was so crucial. You know what you have no you if you can't uh, say you have the right to life, you have no rights. Anything can be via any uh, the oligarchs can come up with an excuse and tell to do anything they want to you. That's the, that's the catch here. You go for the bait. You say, well, I just want to act out my sexual behavior. So I'm going to say, well, the moral law doesn't apply. Uh, well, you think it doesn't apply just to that? If you say it doesn't apply, it doesn't apply across the board. And they use that against you as they start to exploit you economically. You can't kick it away in one place and then use it in someplace else. That's why this is important. It's a seamless garment. And it has to be treated as such. And there are yeah. certain things that have to be beyond economic exchange. And that's precisely what the libertarians are denying. And it was, I think it's vouched at one point in the debate accused, I guess we call conservatives of not, uh, I guess, uh, 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 accepting responsibility for their actions. So I thought it was ironic because it, it, it's his gospel of sexual liberation is, is this fantasy which is not too surprising because he, he, I think he's from Hollywood. So they, he does actually believe in the Hollywood fantasy. Right. These he, things grew is, up, um, he grew is, up as a privileged child of Hollywood. Yeah. So I, his uh, name so, is his name. His real name is Ian Kochinski. His father is a big, uh, uh, heavily involved in special, I think special effects in Hollywood. So he has that kind of Hollywood uh, yeah. Jewish, Jewish mentality. Yeah. Hyper, hyper, Jewish or not. Hyper reality is fantasy and these things. And, but the idea uh, he's saying you have to accept responsibility for your action. But wait a second, is, is the sex act is inherently a moral act. He doesn't think well, have any morality of these acts. But obviously, if you're having sex, you, you can produce a child, and that child needs someone to take care of him. And um, Or if you get rid of the child, you commit abortion, so the child is murdered, so you can indulge in your fantasies. But there's always consequences to these actions. And that's the idea that the, these acts, the sexual act, uh, uh, is a, you know, 
is an act which 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 is inherently a moral act, and its context and timing, it, it, you know, matters. Uh, so if right. you reject that, you're, you're setting yourself up and also other people to be victimized by. It. He doesn't even he didn't even he doesn't acknowledge no. that. You know, he doesn't look at pornography as people being exploited, both the people watching it, buying it, and the people acting in it. He thinks it's just a transaction. The wimp girls are happy. He doesn't. He doesn't. One thing got me is he didn't see the coercion in these things where obviously usury in the economy and also what's being promoted. And you, 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 you alluded to this when you said that you, you don't believe that consent. He says everyone consensus. So it's OK. Is, is it, you know, the primacy of the contract? Well, you have to acknowledge is, is that coercion can be very subtle and psychological warfare. So people aren't making their best decisions because they've been groomed or they've been perverted by the media, you know, all through their development, right. developmentally. That's what pornography does. So, right. not, so you are enslaved by your passion, right. by the production of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you live uh, Hollywood is, is good at special effects uh, and their movies are ruined by their special effects because th they, they lose contact with reality. Yes. And if you lose contact with reality, do I really care about this chick, you know, uh, who, can just take these big 300 pound guys and throw them across <laughs> the room. Do I really care about her? Do I really, can I get involved with a chick like this? Because there's nothing real about this. Yes. And, the, and you, the lesson you learn from these superhero movies is there are no effects and there are no realities. So it's like, uh, uh, you, you, what about regret? Does anyone ever make movies about regret where you regret something that you did? Uh, which means it was wrong. No, no, no. Now you're getting the girls involved in this thing and these preposterous things that I, I don't understand. I, I understand why people go to the movie because they want to believe that reality is completely malleable and there will, they will suffer no consequences from their actions. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And could, uh, yeah, it was vouched. Did he also claim that guilt is a, just simply a chemical reaction <laughs> so i feel like saying where's your data for that <laughs> you know i love it yes yeah. did you but, say that because of a chemical reaction in your brain yeah is that why you said that am i supposed to take it am i supposed to take these reactions seriously because uh, it, it it's incoherent but you can't you can never make an argument because you're always being interrupted and it just goes on and on it just was painful yeah, I wouldn't say it was a, 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 a enjoyable thing, but it was informative. <laughs> I know? think you were given two clear alternatives. Yeah, yeah. And like two said, there, clear alternatives. I, I've heard I've heard several people's reaction to it. And they said, here you have an older gentleman who's a father of five kids, grandchildren, and you have Vouch. Uh, which one do you aspire to be? And I don't mean that to be uncharitable. Vouch is a tortured soul. And I hope he he's only 27. And he has a time. He still has some time to grow up, and he is a, a victim of his age. A minute, a victim of his time of where he grew up and his age. So, you know, but there for the grace of God go we. So, uh, but it, it it was a useful interview because again, I expected a debate about. Well, yeah, it's not good, but we have to tolerate it. But he's like, it's the positive good. Like, if you don't have it, you know, you know, uh, you know people just uh, if you don't have pornography, society will fall apart. Right. If anything, the, the all the data suggests otherwise. Uh, you know, its effect on society. It's why it's promoted by these people to begin with. That's, that's right. Why is it if it's so good? Why is it free? That's not. <laughs> that's right. It's, a, it's an that's indication right. that it's psychological warfare that it's virtually free now, right? That's um, right. It is. Yeah. It is. And one thing he, uh, I know you're getting it's good. We're getting late tonight. I'll let you go soon. But 
one thing I've always had a different about pornography is that, you know, okay, they legalized it for adults. And remember, back in the 50s, I guess, you know, uh, Playboy published in the 50s, although there's a lot of Jewish influence in Playboy, from what I understand. And I understand also the CIA by that, for that matter. That's, that's interesting. Same bank, I think, they, that was involved in drug running, was involved in financing Playboy. But anyway, the, um, the, um, the idea that you could, you know, you could produce this material and distribute it and, and control its distribution, its proliferation, was always a, a, a lie. Because once it gets out there, it's out there. And although a, an adult male may order it, he's going to leave it in the house. He's going to end up in a barbershop somewhere or in the woods somewhere, in a dumpster somewhere. And it's going to get into the hands of children. Right. And they, yeah, know, and they know that. Now, my point is, knowing that it can be distributed and it can proliferate, can, ask any pornographer, should they care, says, can you guarantee me when you produce material that it will never get into the hands of children? Obviously, they cannot. And therefore, they, it should never be produced in the interest of children. I mean, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, A&E just uh, started a, a series on Hugh Hefner uh, about s- secrets of Playboy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they have all, all of the bunnies uh, there talking about uh, how if they were very real. It was real, serious control. It kind of proves what I said about sexual that's liberation as political control. You had to be in by nine o'clock if you were a bunny. <laughs> your parents, <laughs> your parents let you stay out till midnight, but now you're got to be in at nine o'clock because you have to said so. And then it goes on. So a lot of it is simply, you know, back and forth. Some people liked them, some people didn't. The bunnies talking about how they feel bitter now, and then they get to a point uh, where suddenly they're saying, "Oh, and by the way, every single sexual encounter was being filmed." Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Why? And then they actually have him on camera saying, uh, why are you doing this? And he says, well, uh, what goes on there is interesting. And then they switch and we're back to some bunny complaining. Wait a minute. Let's stop here because there's certain similarities here between what Hefner was doing and what uh, Mr. Epstein was doing. Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and why was Mr. Epstein doing that? Because he liked to watch other people have sex. No. He was involved in blackmail. And wait a minute. Let's it goes the other way, too. So uh, uh, Hugh Hefner always said that the reason he got involved with Playboy was because he was impressed by uh, Alfred Kinsey and his studies on sexuality. Alfred Kinsey was a blackmailer. Alfred Kinsey took sex histories of prominent people and could release those sex histories whenever he felt uh, threatened. That's what blackmailers do. Mm hmm. Alfred Kinsey was kind of stalked by an even bigger blackmailer. That was his name was J. Edgar Hoover. Hoover wanted access to Kinsey's files. And so he sent him to, uh, to uh, threaten to uh, indict him for the crimes he was involved in. And Kinsey caved in and shared his files with him. Uh, Hugh Hefner was given an award by the ADL. He, as you, you've already mentioned the fact that it was a playboy was a Jewish operation. Uh, uh, they brag about it now. There was an article in the tablet about 10 years ago talking about how the Jews ran Playboy. And th- they needed uh, Hefner because he was a, uh, a goy, uh, a Methodist from Chicago. And so it looked as if it wasn't being run. But wait a minute. So the Jews, uh, ADL gives Hefner award in 1984. Well, what's the ADL? Well, they're another uh, espionage blackmail operation. They were the ones that held Hoover 
in check because they probably had pictures of Hoover in his pink nighty. So we're talking about a, a, a web here of uh, espionage, uh, of blackmail, and of political control as a result of it. So the first man to uh, prosecute uh, Jeffrey Epstein is a guy named uh, Krishner, uh, a Jew from Florida, and he gives him a sweetheart deal. And guess what? The ADL gives Krishner an award <laughs> yes. for letting the Jew uh, Epstein off the hook. Well, why why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we talking about the big picture here with Hugh Hefner? Well, because they probably don't understand it. Well, wasn't so, the wasn't the ADL birth to help another Jew get off the hook for a sexual crime? Leo Frank. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's yeah, right. So. That's right. So no Jew. Their job is to launder money from Jews like uh, Meyer Lansky and Mo Dallas uh, to keep uh, any Jew from going to jail. Uh, and uh, that's they did the same thing with Mo Dalitz. He was a, a, a criminal in the Jewish Navy and a, a bootlegger and a, a, a run uh, gambling operations in Cincinnati and then went to Las Vegas where he went legit. And in 1984, I think it's the same year that Hefner got the award. I may be wrong, but uh, Mo Dalitz got an award for being a great humanitarian, which meant he probably gave a lot of money to the ADL. That, that's what that's what's going on here. Why do these people have control of the discourse? Why do a bunch of thugs, blackmailers uh, and criminals have control over our discourse? Well, because of groups like the ADL. Yeah. And if, yeah, if you look at like a character like Hugh Hefner, who was sort of legitimized uh, in the, uh, the mainstream press, I know he did like guest appearances on TV shows like The Odd Couple, and he'd be going on The Tonight Show. He was sort of considered respectable. People would go to the Playboy Mansion and not think anything of it. Um, the same way, I guess, that maybe they went to Epstein Island. Right. Know. I think it's yeah, the same yeah. the same yeah. kind of operation, and they blew it. The the guys who did the, the A&E documentary just blew it because they didn't follow up on this. Why did you Why did you just let him get away with that? Mm -hmm. This is clearly what was going on there. This was, I always this, thought it was, it was I, ironic. I, is, is a Hugh Hefner also, there was a film of him Donating money to AIDS research. <laughs> it's like after spreading AIDS, you mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's through like, your sexual activity. Yeah, I mean, like it's uh, they don't talk about not 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 understanding. I mean, Val, she said, you, you know, they don't understand cause and effect. It was like, well, not talk about not understanding cause and effect. I mean, geez. I mean, yeah, you're supposed to be. Vosh is very aggressive by saying no one's allowed to figure out anything. It's just you got to go. You have to accept my benighted view or else I'm going to shout at you and call you names. No, that's that's not the way. Well, it he, is. He, where's your data? Then he, he's somehow claiming that some rape rape rates were higher in the mid, in the medieval period. Yeah. Where's your data? For that? <laughs> I was like, what? yeah, who did that survey? A rape <laughs> survey in the Middle Ages? Is it like William the Conqueror or what? Well, what something's going you, on here. I mean, I, data is, can be useful. Uh, garbage in, garbage out, I suppose. You got to understand you, you, if you're getting data from like, McKinsey, then you have to be very sus suspicious or from the CDC for that matter or whatever. But um, there are some observations. You know, you make an observation about pornography and how it affects people. And he'll say, well, where's your data for that? You know, I was like, well, I don't think you need to have data for that. Yeah, I don't think you have your data to prove that, you know, showing pornography to kids is, is harmful. You know, and if it's harmful to kids, then it is something different than just moving pictures on a screen. That's nothing said. It's just moving pictures on a screen. Yeah. Well, no, obviously, it makes a difference what you're watching. <laughs> you know, um, if you're watching, you know, a Hamlet on the screen, it's different than watching a porn film. Um, 
But uh, no, it isn't. It's the same thing. This what he <laughs> said. He said at one point. So what's the difference between a woman who, who has a shirt on and a woman who doesn't have a shirt on? Well, because the one has a shirt on, the other one doesn't. I tell you, there's a big difference. <laughs> you don't know the difference. <laughs> and it will make a difference who that woman is, too. I mean, it's, right. it's just very human. It's almost like his, 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 he's like it is human denial, just reality It's like, wait a second. And obviously what pornography does, it, it destroys what's what's special about sex. And it's it, the intimacy is the biggest thing. Right. And it destroys that the intimacy to me. Right. That's the biggest violation, which is always the biggest, I guess, turn off to me about pornography is just the violation of intimacy. It never, it never caught my attention. because It always seems so perverse to me. Um, the um, I mean, it, but the damage is done. It's it's, ob it's obvious. And that's why someone like you know, it's being promoted. And I think. Yeah, I was reading a stat that 89% of young men and 31% of young women admit to viewing hardcore internet pornography. There's a difference there, men and women right there. And the average age of exposure estimated to be 11 years old. Um, but what's wrong with that? You, exactly. Show me the data. Show can me we, the data. <laughs> show me the data. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I mean, that's wrong. Uh, you know, and so it's, a, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's like, yeah, I think you're correct. It's a tool of, of, of control. And that's why it's been promoted. And they, again, Jews have openly prom uh, promoted it as such, as a psychological warfare to weaken cohesion in the community because they do better uh, in a yeah. uh, sort of a, a divert, I guess, heterogeneous, weakened uh, community or something. It's, it's a further, it's yeah. part of their strategy. And they admit it. So, but anyway, take, it was. Take, uh, we're, we're, we are going to conduct a study. We're going to show uh, rats having sex to other rats. We're going to have rat pornography, and then we're going to ask the rats how they felt after watching other rats having sex. And this will provide the data that we need to refute this. this <laughs> what what are you talking about? What exactly what possible experiment could you have here? This is ridiculous. Anyway. Well, I like one thing he said when he said that actually pornography can be used for training. It actually makes you better at it. It's like as if pornography or, you know, as if, you know, uh, 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 airbrushed reality. You, know, you see in the magazines anything to do with re real women. I'm mean, like, what are you talking about? This is someone who, uh, who may not have much experience with real women, I guess. But I mean, I'm sorry, women don't look like that in reality. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and judging from experience, I lived there, you know, like I said, when I came of age in the 70s and 80s. And that's that, you know, I know my exposure to it was always someone whose father got it or someone who found it in a trash yeah. can and you looked yeah. at it. And that was relatively innocent because we knew in that scenario, we were looking at something that was wrong. Yeah. You know, whereas now it's so it's so cavalier with the Internet and that has to be so much more damaging to, to young minds now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, one thing that struck me about watching the uh, the Playboy documentary was how modest the bunny costume is compared <laughs> to what you see on the beach today. Yes. Yeah. And it got worse. I mean, this hustler, obviously, hustler was the extreme. And I guess the most honest cover hustler ever had was that woman's bottom half being fed into a meat grinder. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what it's really all about, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're meat to be ground up and uh, exploited for the money, for monetary the, gain. That reduction, that, you know. That's that right. Into in just material, material, and that's the result of it. And that's why it's being promoted. So, well, listen, I, I know we usually go for an hour, so I've had you a little bit beyond that. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. My pleasure, um, Tim. Again, it's, it's, uh, I'll let you go. Uh, e. Michael Jones, culturewars.com. Get his books. Subscribe to the magazine there. And uh, we'll talk in the near future.
Thank you.